You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can find notes for this message along with more information about our church by visiting church2911.com. Here's our lead pastor, Rick Hand, with this week's message. So three things I'm praying. Here's the first thing. It's Christmas year round. Christmas year round. Wouldn't that be awesome? Some of your blood pressures just went up a level, right? When I said Christmas year round. Why? Because number one, no one has the financial budget for Christmas year round, right? None of, none of us will be able to buy gifts like that all the time, okay? But not just the financial budget, the emotional budget. We don't have that, right? I mean, you know, if I got to sit by the weird uncle, you know, uh, for an hour once a year, okay, I can deal with that. But nobody has the budget to do it, you know, several times out of the year, right? We, we don't have, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about, you know, um, you know, buying all the gifts or, you know, eating turkey and dressing every week. I'm not talking about that thing. There's something different about the Christmas season, about the holidays. In my estimation, this, this is me, but what I see that is different is not all those kinds of things that we kind of wrap it up in, but it is in the fact that we just try during the holidays. You know what I mean? We try. We try to be nicer. We try to be more patient, right? We try not to blow our horn at everybody in the Walmart parking lot during the Christmas holidays, right? We try to be more giving. We try to be more understanding. We try to be more compassionate. We try to help people that really need help. We, we do all that, right? And, you know, so th- that's really what it's more about is it's more about that tribe. Let me, let me lay a couple of heavy things on you here at the beginning of this message. Because if it's going to happen, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen because we decide for it to happen. <clears throat> Do you know, or let me ask you, how many people does it take to have an argument? Not, not a very difficult question. I hear a few people, but y'all are scared as a loaded one, aren't you? It takes two people to have an argument. I read this a long time. I don't, I don't remember who said this, but it, it was pretty awesome. It said it takes two people to have an argument, one to initiate and the other to uh, take the bait. I love that because what that reminds me is if somebody starts trying to initiate an argument with me, then I'm the one that took the bait. You know, I don't want to take the bait. And you know, I've found a lot of times, you know, that you ever heard you can't argue with an idiot, you know? You can't argue with someone like that. I mean, you, you just can't argue. So why would you? And there, I've had times in my life that somebody would try to bring an argument like that into, into a relationship or whatever, you know, and I just kind of just nod my head and walk away, you know, and, and I wish I could do that every time. I don't do that every time, right? None of us are perfect, but I have done that at times, you know, because it takes two people to argue. And if you don't take the bait, then you don't argue. So if it takes two people to argue, then how many does it take to end an argument? Just one. When you find yourself in that argument, you took the bait and you messed up and like, oh goodness, now I'm in an argument. It just takes one to end the argument. Because it takes two to argue, but it only takes one to sow the seeds of peace. When there's discord, disunity, disharmony, when there's an argument, when there's a full-on fight, it only takes one person to diffuse things, to, to calm things down. Sometimes you got to really be in people's face, right, about it. You got to say, hey, hey, everybody, let's just all stop a minute and take a breath, you know? And sometimes that works, right? You know, you just have to be in people's face about it. But sometimes you just change the subject. I see this with my grandkids a whole lot, you know? 
like uh, they, they'll you know come crying or whatever because somebody told them no. Can you imagine somebody told one of my grandkids no? You know, and, and they're just torn up about it, all crying and everything. I wanted that, and she wouldn't let me have it, and all that, and all that. You know what? I found, I found most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, if I can get them laughing about something else, it's all over because they, you know they they really weren't that bothered about it. They just you know just didn't like being told no, and you just diffuse the situation. It only takes one person to sow the seeds of peace. You need to remember that. We we kind of act like our lives are are. Um, you know, at the subject, subject to the whim of all the people around us. But no, you're the, one, you're the one that decides to take the bait or to sow the seeds of peace. Okay, let me take you to some scripture. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to walk through this slowly. I'm going to try to do it faster than the first service, but I'm going to walk through it slowly because I think if we just read all that, we'll miss what is being said here. But this is a, a mouth, no, not a mouthful, this is about 20 mouthfuls of of what God is saying to us about following Christ and how we approach one another in our relationships with one another. Okay, Romans 12, beginning in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Do you know what persecution is? You know, when, when your waitress gets your order wrong this afternoon, that's not persecution. That's an accident, okay? And, and most of the time when someone messes up your life, that's not persecution either. When we're talking about persecution, we're talking about the people who woke up this morning to, and, and on their mind was, how can I make their lives a mess today? That's, that's more what persecution is. And what does the Bible tell us to do? Bless those people. So all the other people that are accidentally making your life a mess, bless them too. But definitely even bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Um, this, this is one, you know, uh, True confession here with a pastor, okay? Uh, I don't, if you've been here, been 2911 for years, you know that I got some pet peeves, and probably my top 10 pet peeves are something to do with traffic. <laughs> you know, traffic just, I mean, just, I, I told you all about that bumper sticker I, I want, and maybe when I retire and I'm not a pastor, I can get it, you know, so it's not sitting right next to my church 2911 sticker, you know, on my car that says, if I passed you on the right, you're an idiot, you know, that one, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I have some pet peeves about that. Y'all pray for your pastor, okay, when he's in traffic. Because, and God, God convicted me, of that, and I shared this some time ago, but God convicted me of this, okay? And you may think it's a silly thing, but somebody cuts me off or whatever, or they do something stupid, and I, I, I you know, it's just me sitting in the car, so it's not like I'm going to create an argument or a fight or anything, but I'll just say, you're an idiot, you know, and I just want to speak. And then God convicted me of that because, you know, our words have power. And you say, yeah, but you ought. But I, I was speaking a curse over them. And the word of God says, bless and do not curse. What I should be doing is, right, instead of cursing them, I should, you know, somebody cuts me off in traffic, I should say, bless your heart. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I, you know, tongue in cheek a little bit there, but really. That's what Christianity is, is don't, don't curse, bless. Rejoice with those who rejoice, rejoice, weep with those who weep. Now, I, I've heard people say, oh, it's easier to rejoice with people who are rejoicing, or, and others say, no, it's easier to weep with those who weep. I think we struggle with both. Because, you know, you know how it is, somebody tells us about a problem they've got, and what do we do? I'll be praying about that, and we never do. Why? Because we're not weeping with them. You know, it sound, sounded bad. I hate that's going on in your life, but uh, I got somewhere else to go. And we just, I'll be praying with you so I can get out of this situation. I mean, if we were really weeping with them, we would remember later and we would pray for them. 
I mean, we struggle with this, don't we? Really weeping with those who weep. But don't we also struggle with rejoicing with those who rejoice? We live in such a jealous and competitive culture today. And I'm, I'm not talking about what they're doing to us. I'm talking about us. Is if we're not careful, you know, somebody gets something good, you know, we're not, you know, we can't, you know, brag on that or be a part of that or say yay for them. But we're supposed to. We're supposed to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, uh, live in harmony with one another. Coming back to that one in just a second. Do not be proud, but enjoy the company of the lowly. Wow. Enjoy the company. You want to break that down? Enjoy the company of the lowly. Someone said a long time ago, you say that you're a, a caring church. Show me you're sick in your congregation. Show me the poor in your congregation. Show me the needy in your congregation. If you say you're a caring church, show me all those people with that. And then when you come in, you don't, you don't look and see somebody alone, you know, all alone. You say, huh, I can't go speak to them because, you know, they're not on the same social state. Oh, wait a minute. Boy, we get in trouble. We get start talking like that, aren't we? Maybe, we don't say it that way, do we? We just say, well, I just don't have that much in common with them. Woo. Need to be careful of our words because our words are masking maybe sometimes some of the things in our heart. And the, the word there says, do not be proud, but enjoy the company of the lowly. Do not be conceited. Don't be conceited. You didn't do anything by yourself, okay? You didn't even get here by yourself. You know, you had parents that raised you, fed you, and all that other stuff, and you've got people who champion you and help you, people who bought you stuff and everything, and then you've got God. Don't be conceited, okay? Don't repay anyone evil for evil. I'll wrap this up real quick right here. Did Jesus, tell me a time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John where Jesus was treated e evil and he repaid evil with evil? As a Christian, as a Christ follower, as a, as a Christ-like person, we're supposed to be like him. So don't, don't repay evil for evil. Carefully consider what is right in the eyes of everybody. Okay, I got I to talk about this one a little bit so that you know what he's talking about here. Carefully consider what is right in the eyes of everyone. That does not mean, it doesn't say, do what is right in the eyes of everyone. You can't do that because everyone has different opinions about what is right. Correct. So you know, you'd be killing yourself trying to make everybody happy. That's not what it's talking about. Uh, because we shouldn't do what is right in the eyes of everyone. But while we're doing what is right in, in the eyes of God, we should consider what other people think about what is right. If we ever hope to reach people who don't believe the truth, we've got to understand what their truth is and what they believe. We can't just say, well, bless God, this is the way it is, if we ever want to reach them. If we ever want to help them, and there's been a, a, th throughout history, I mean, we've seen it a lot in the past few years about how generations are, are, are getting separated with, you know, ideals and things. This is the first time this has happened, okay? Some of you who are older now, you remember when you were a teenager and, you know, you felt schism between you and your parents because they just didn't understand. And so what we have to do and what this word is saying is we need to understand where everybody is coming from if we ever hope to touch the world we're going to have to first think about where they're coming from and why they believe things that are obviously not not right before we try to tell them what is right that's what this is saying consider okay it doesn't say do it it says consider what is right in the eyes of everyone if it is possible okay i said we were coming back to this right here it is if it is possible on your part live at peace with everyone everyone even the hardest person in your life to be at peace with this word says 
if at all possible, to everything that is within you, live at peace with everyone. Now, there may be some of those that are not going to live at peace with you. Okay, that's fine. But if at all possible, it is, it is up to you. Remember, it takes two people to argue. It takes one to sow the seeds of peace. Everything you can to sow seeds of peace in those situations. If it be possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. Do not avenge yourselves, beloved, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, so we're not supposed to bring vengeance. We're not supposed to take vengeance on other people. For, um, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals, of head, uh, burning coals on his head. And uh, I've heard lots of jokes about that one, okay? But not, don't go there. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Have you ever had to minister to someone who had done you wrong? Has, have you ever seen, you, you know, someone did you wrong, did something to you, uh, mistreated you in some way, stole from you or something like that, and then they come back, they've got a need, and you've got to minister to them? And you know what the, the human attitude about that is? Think about it. What do we do? Someone does us wrong, and then they come, all of a sudden now they have a need, and we're the ones that can help. And, we, you know, in our minds, what we're thinking is, <laughs> yeah, what goes around comes around, right? Or that karma thing, right? You know, that's what we think about. But that's not what Jesus did. That's not what he did. Think about, you know, I've heard the story, and, and I've heard it over and over, and people talk about it. The night before he died, he washed the disciples' feet, all 12 of them. And one of them had already put in motion a plan to betray him, and Jesus washed his feet. To be a Christ follower means sometimes you feed your enemy. It means sometimes you give a drink of water to your enemy. It means sometimes you minister to your enemy's children because they're in need. That's what that means. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a promise there. We can over, it's a, if, if we are directed to overcome evil with good, then that must mean it's possible, right? That our good can overcome evil, that we can sow the seeds of peace in our lives so that good can overcome evil. Make sure that we don't allow evil to overcome our good, that we don't allow all of that out there to rub off on us because we're supposed to be Christ followers, Christ-like, and all, all of those things. Okay, so here is, you know, it's not that we need Christmas to last, and I'll ask, bring up that last that next point so I can read it with them, if you will. Thank you, Joanna. It's not an extension. That's the way I was going to say it. It's not an extension of the Christmas holidays that we need we need to extend our try. We need to try past Christmas. We need to try in January as hard as we tried in December. We need to try, we need to extend our try past this Sunday morning service. Oh, it's easy to be nice and friendly with all these people right here. Yeah, right? I mean, unless somebody got your seat, you know, while you went to get a, a refill on coffee or something, it's easy to be nice in here, right? But man, this afternoon, you know, and, 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 you know, trying to drive through a parking lot and somebody get in your space or, you know, people driving slow or whatever, or somebody parks their grocery cart sideways right in the middle of the aisle, you know, or we do go to a restaurant and our waitress gets our order wrong or God forbid she, she spills something on us, right? We need to extend our tribe beyond this moment and beyond December and the Christmas holidays. That's what is needed in 2024. And, um, and I'm going to say, it's up to us to do it. You can do it. 
There's no power in these lights. We didn't turn these lights on and all of a sudden we all got friendlier. Candy canes, you know, you eat a candy cane, it doesn't naturally make you more giving. There's no magic in it. We just try. And that's my prayer for 2024. Number one is that we just try. Can we extend our try this year to just try to be what all that was there, that Christ-likeness there that we read from Romans a moment ago? Here's my second prayer that I'm praying for 2024, and it is spiritual growth over each of you. And and that's important. That's why that comma's right there, spiritual growth for each of you, because I wanted you to see that. I wanted you to know that's what I'm talking about. Okay, I I was talking to Brent about this a few weeks ago. You know, you you just think about it during, you know, toward the end of the year. And I say, you know, have you thought about how different the church is now than it was just a year ago? And I mean, it really is. I mean, some, a lot of you weren't coming here just a year ago. And how different the church is, was then than it was the previous year. And if you go all the way back to 2020, you know, COVID year, man, we were really different at the end of that year than we were at the beginning of the year. We were in a different location. I mean, everything had changed. So, so many things had changed. But here's the real test of spiritual growth. It's not, let me read it this way, because uh, there's two things that are in the beginning part of that and then, and then the wrap-up. The real test of spiritual growth is not if we, as a group, are different, but whether we are each growing. Okay, first of all, let's address that we're different, because different doesn't necessarily mean growth. You can regress in spiritual growth. That's different, but it's not growth. You can go backwards. You can, be, you can be less involved and less connected to God and less all of those things. That's different, but that's not growth, okay? And me saying that the church is different, so me saying that the church is different, that doesn't necessarily mean that we've grown. I hope it does, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Spiritual growth is not about us even growing. Jesus Christ didn't die for a group of people. He died for individuals, every single one of you. He doesn't, you know, have have directions for us and promises for us as a people. He has promises for each of us individually. So spiritual growth is not about how the church looks a year from now. It's about how each individual looks. And and I want to say that this this is this is a little challenging. You know, uh, one of my buddies here, Kurt. You know, he 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 likes to use the word meddling. You know, he said, so now that was meddling this morning. I'm going to meddle here just a little bit. But I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes we pastors almost feel like, and I hate to say this out loud almost, but we sometimes feel like we have to dumb down the sermon a little bit because everybody's not really striving to grow spiritually. And we got to talk to everybody, and almost like you got to talk elementary in some ways. And some people who are really trying to grow feel like, well, that's elementary, Pastor. I say, yeah, I've got to get everybody on board so we're all growing. It's like, come on, can we all, can we all attempt to grow so we, we can go somewhere? You know, like just a few weeks ago, we, we preached a sermon series about 201, you know, Christianity 201. Can we, can we get on past 101 and 201, and can we move to 301 and 401 and maybe get some graduate course? and spiritual growth here can we get there i mean that's that's what my prayer is is that is that we're, we're not in infants anymore in in our spiritual uh, you know states that we are but that we will grow that each individual one of us will grow can you make that that decision today can, can, can you do that that each one of us would grow um here uh let me give you this first step I'm not going to give you nine or ten or seven or whatever steps. I'm going to give you the first. Because, you know, the first 
first step is the most important step in anything. Because if you don't take step one, you can't take step two. You know, you can't take step 100 if you didn't take step one a long time ago. So you've you got to get started. And the first step is this. It's the decision. The decision to grow. I'm, I'm going to grow. I'm going to be a different I'm going to be. I'm going to be deeper. I'm, I'm going to be... I'm going to be stronger spiritually. You've you got to make that decision. Now, when I started putting this together, I was going to say this. I was going to say it this way. That when you make that decision, you make that decision every day. That every day you have to decide, I'm going to be. And this, I'm going to do this. You have to decide. But you know what? I think God checked me on this. It's because that's one of the problems that we have in our culture today is we think we make decisions on and on and on and on. Here's, here's my biggest, best example of this. I did not wake up this morning and decide, hmm, do I want to be married today? I didn't decide that today. I decided it 44 and a half years ago. You know, yeah, David was two years old, right. Uh, 44 and a half years ago, I decided, and every morning I don't decide if I'm a Christian. I don't decide every Sunday if I'm going to church. You know, I, I just don't, even, I do say, well, you're a pastor, you got to be here. But when I was in ministries that I was not pastoring, I didn't have to be anywhere. I still, we didn't get up, I didn't get up on a Sunday morning ever and say, what day you want to go to church today or not? We didn't decide, we didn't decide that on every day. We decided it a long time ago when I said, I'm going to be a Christian. I don't decide every day if I'm going to read the Bible. I decided that a long time ago. I got to know him better. I didn't decide, am I going to pray and talk to him every day? I don't decide that tomorrow morning. I don't decide this Wednesday night, teenagers. I don't decide this Wednesday night if I'm going to teens because I decided that I, this is who I am. This is who God made me. And, uh, you know, I'm here. This is where he planted me, and I got to be a part of this. So I, I, I don't decide. I, I, I'm part of a grow group. I don't decide every week if I'm going. I'm part of this. And, and, and see, here's part of the problem also is, is when we do that, a lot of times we're, we're making the plans to go because, well, I, you know, I really need something, so I'm going to go this morning. Maybe maybe pastor will give me something I can get by through the week. That's, that's the wrong attitude. I'm going anyway. Whether I feel like I need anything or not, I'm going because this is who I am, who I'm part of. I'm a part of this body, and the body is meeting today, and so I've made the decision to be a part of this body, so there's no question I do this. I pray every day. I, 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 don't, I don't make the decision every time I get paid whether I'm going to give based on the, what God has given to me. I, I don't make that decision every payday. I've made that decision, and the world could, the world could, just, could just be so much further down the line, so, so blessed, if they could just get this as well. I mean, just with marriage, if the world could understand, you don't make the decision every day, you make it one time until death do part. I mean, that's what you said, right? And so you make that, and so that's what we do, we make this decision. Okay, so let me, let me, let me turn this around just a little bit with, with the scripture here from uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. There's that thing about, I'm part of this, so I gotta be here because I'm supposed to be encouraging everybody else around me. Encourage, encourage people to cheer them on, right? Like, yeah, you can do it. You can make to incite them. I believe you can do even better. You did great. I believe you can do even better. To, to stir them up, to stir up their, their excitement, to stir up their, their belief and their faith. I mean, this is what God has called us to be. Okay, I've got an illustration I used years ago. I don't think I've ever used it at 29-11 uh, in the 14 years. Maybe I have and I forgot, but you probably did too if you were here, right? So I'm going to use it again. The ladder illustration. Imagine you're climbing a ladder. Halfway up the ladder, you notice someone three-quarters the way up. 
Now how do you get to the top? I mean, if you're trying to climb the ladder and you look up, oh man, there's somebody, and they're just standing there holding you know, their place. How do you get to the top with them just standing there and being in your way? Okay, I got three options for you. The first one is you climb over them. That's not OSHA approved, okay? That's dangerous, right? But that is exactly how some people think they're supposed to succeed in life, is climb over people. Use them as stepping stones, right? I mean, we've seen that. We see that in the corporate world a lot, right? Here's the second option. You climb back down and say, hey, come down and let me go on because I want to go further than you. You know, just, just come down, get out of the way, and I can move on. That's also not a good option because basically what you're doing is you're bringing somebody down so you can be up, right? So just, just, just imagine, you know, if you go to the... Um, you go to work out at the gym, but instead of working out, you just take a couple boxes of Krispy Kremes every time you go, and you pass them out because you want everybody else to gain weight. So they're here, you're here, so they gain weight, you know, and, and you just feel a little bit better about yourself, but you're not any healthier just because you pulled somebody else down. But that's, that's one of the ways of the world. It's not Christ's way, so it shouldn't be our way. Well, what should be our way? This third way to encourage them to continue up the ladder so you can move up behind them. Just like that scripture we just read. Come on, I know you can make it. Let, let, let's go. Let's, let's, let's climb to the top of this. Wherever it is that we're going, let's get there. And by encouraging them and inciting them and stirring them up, I mean, that's, that's God's way of doing this. So spiritual growth is not just about what happens to you. It's, sometimes it's also about how, what happens through you to help somebody else. And, and, and if we want to be stronger as a church and have spiritual growth as a church, then it's not about what, what, what happens in me. It's about what happens in all of us. And so I want you to help me focus on that this, this, this year. That you'll be different. Something about you will be different. You'll be deeper. You'll, you'll, you'll be stronger in, in spirit. You will, you will be, you'll be more grounded in the Word of God. You'll be more grounded in your commitment. But that's also, that also means if we're going to be a stronger church, then it means we individually. And so we've got to encourage one another to do that as well. Okay, let me hurry. Here's the third, the third thing. And it is that each of you know the joy of helping someone find Jesus in 2024. Now, I know some of you will say, well, I, I, I've already experienced that, but you haven't in 2024 yet, okay? I want you to experience it again. If you've ever experienced, I want you to experience it again in 2024. And if you never have, I want you to experience it for the first time in 2024. I want every one of you, that's my prayer, is that every one of you experience this joy of helping someone find Jesus. Now, that scares some of us to death because you're worried about having to preach a sermon. Let me give you two examples from Scripture on opposite ends of the spectrum, okay? So you, you kind of see this, and, all right? Uh, is Paul preaching at the Areopagus in, in Acts 17 in those verses? And please read that story. That is just such an awesome story. I love it. If I wasn't over on the time I would have allotted to get to this point, I would tell you some really cool, awesome things there. I don't have time. It is a great story. And Paul just it takes advantage of the opportunity, and he preaches to people just kind of in this public setting and he preaches to people and that scares some of y'all to death about thinking that that's what I got to do no no that's not it okay here's the other end of the spectrum Philip meets Jesus and he runs to find his friend Nathaniel and he tells his friend Nathaniel hey I, we've met Jesus the Messiah and Nathaniel doesn't really believe him you know and he kind of brushes it off but then Philip teases him and says come and see sometimes it takes a sermon sometimes it takes just a little coasting 
coaxing. And if God hasn't called you to preach the sermon, then maybe you're a really good coaxer and you just haven't realized it yet. And sometimes that's all it takes. But let me tell you, you know, most of the time, the first step is the coaxing, the tease. Come and see. An invitation, right? An invitation to, to come to a Sunday service or Wednesday teens or, or grow group or something like that. It's just, it's just the invitation. And you know what? Every one of us can do that. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be ordained. You don't have to have a seminary degree. Every one of us can invite. Okay, so here's um, a couple of things there at the end. Is first stay connected. Uh, I I, want to throw this in just real quick. I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But if you invite someone to come to church and they come to church, don't ignore them when they get here. Okay? Stay connected. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, they went around preaching. A lot of people got saved, became believers. They planted churches. And then they go back to their home base. They're there a while. And after some time that Paul and Barnabas were at their home base, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. We should do the same thing. If you can invite someone and they come to church, they come to teens group or they come to grow groups or whatever, we should stay connected with them. You are their connection. They don't know the rest of these people. And if they start sensing something and feeling something and faith starts welling up inside of them, I said I didn't want to spend a lot of time there, but if if all that starts happening, you're the person that they can come to with questions, so stay connected, all right? right, But here's the thing you got to do. If you want to really know this joy, you've got to set a goal, okay? I I know if you look at the life of Christ, you may may think, man, he is just... And I've said this before, man, it just seems like he was constantly interrupted. You know, no matter what he was doing, he got interrupted. But when I look at it a little more in depth and like the whole picture, I see this detailed itinerary that he had. Places he was going and people he was meeting. I know he would go to a place and it looked like somebody interrupted him, but Jesus knew they were going to be there. And instead of him going somewhere and being interrupted, it's more like he well, just stood up stood in the middle of their street, in the middle of their path, and interrupted them so he could be there for them. But th- there, was, there was a plan. Jesus had a plan. But even in those times that it looks like Jesus was interrupted, and maybe there was, were some times he was interrupted, even in those times, Jesus took advantage of every single opportunity that was there. So he had a plan. And uh, I got a plan for 2024, and I want to ask you to join me in this plan, Okay. Every year, I, I set a goal of how many people I'm going to invite to church or a grow group or something that don't go to church anywhere, okay? I'm not talking about go, go invite your friends from Enon or that kind of stuff. I mean people that aren't going to church anywhere, okay? And uh, I want to I ask you to join me in this today. Uh, last year, I set a goal of 50, and I, I think I hit 51 or 52. Isn't, isn't it amazing, right, that you, you can kind of hit the goals that you set, you know, and... Uh, you kind of hit the ones you don't set either, right? If you don't set them, you hit that one too, right? But if you set a goal, you know, if you have a plan, you set a goal. But the other thing you've got to do is you've got to measure it. Every time you invite somebody, write that name down and keep a list so you know. You know, so if you set your goal at, at 20, you know, then, then to invite 20 people that don't go to church anywhere, then by June 30th, you ought to be at 10 or somewhere around that, or you need to step it up a little bit, right? So, so you set a goal, and then you measure it. You keep up with it. I have one time before set my goal at 100, and, and I made it. I hit 102, I think, that year. 
And I'm going to do that again this year because here's what I want. I want to really, I want, I want to say, look, I'm going to do 100. And I, I want to ask you to set a goal. I, I don't care what your goal is. You don't even have to tell me what your goal is. I just want you to tell me I'm doing that, Pastor. I'm, I've asked God to give me a bunch of you people to say, I'm going to do that this year too, Pastor. I don't care what your number is. You, you can tell me if you want to. You can go home, pray about it, and say, this is my number. Uh, that's fine. Uh, you can tell me the number, but I don't care about that. I don't want to hold you accountable to this thing. I'd rather hold you accountable to the first two things, okay, that I preached about. I don't want to hold you accountable. I just want you to say, I'm going to do this, and write it down somewhere, set that goal, and then, and then track it, okay? And I'm asking you, can you join me in this? I'm not asking you to do 100. I'm asking you to do just whatever you think you can do. You know, and, and listen, I don't know 100 people who aren't going to church. <laughs> you know, most of my friends are sitting right here or some other church this morning. You know, so you think, well, you got to work on it, Pastor. But, you know, I just, you know what I've found? I found that when I'm paying attention, God opens all kinds of doors for me to invite people to church or grow group. I just have to set the goal and then start marking it. So would you join me in that? Would you, would you tell me after service or send me a text or call or something and, and just let me know that you're going to join me in this, that you're going to set a goal for 2024 to make it? Because invitation is almost always the very first step to someone. Thanks for listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a need, we would love to pray with you. You can connect with our prayer team by emailing prayer at church2911.com or by texting 205-476-2911. You can learn more about our church by visiting us online at church2911.com and by connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram at church2911. We hope this message has encouraged you and reminded you that God loves you and has an amazing dream for your life. As always, we dare you to dream.